please stand for the scripture reading, which is Mark 4, verses 26 through 34. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seeds on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, and then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grape grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like, and what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. In, the, in these parables today, Jesus talks about things that are a bit mysterious. Things that you don't know quite how it's going to work or what's actually happening. Like, just that something happens. The seed goes in the ground and then it grows. Or a mustard seed, even though it's small, goes in the ground and then it grows into this giant tree. And it's a bit mysterious. I think there are some things in our world today that we assume we know a fair amount about. But there's some mysteries attached to them. Two examples for me are black holes and butterflies. Now, black hole, a black hole is this region of space where gravity is so strong that nothing, including light, can escape its pull. It was predicted by Einstein and his general theory of relativity. And nobody had really ever observed a black hole. We just thought they were there because of this theory. And in 1971, scientists were finally able to see and discern a black hole in space. Now, it's a black hole. No light can escape it. You can't see it behind a black background. So how are you going to see it? Well, you're only going to be able to see a black hole by the effect it has on the space around it whether that's matter being or light being pulled into the black hole, or it actually warps space and like the vision around it because the gravitational pull is so strong, almost like a bubble warping your vision as you're looking through it. And what's interesting, though, is we still aren't really sure what happens inside of a black hole. You may have seen the movie Interstellar with crazy ideas of what happens, but we're not sure. We can't really send anything in there to tell us what happens. It's, it's a bit of a mystery. And butterflies. Butterflies are beautiful. We love them when they go by. Who knows how a butterfly comes into being? Wave hand out. Anybody? Don't get ahead of me, Lindy. Caterpillar. Caterpillar does what? goes into a chrysalis, goes into a cocoon, and then out comes a butterfly, right? Who knows what happens inside the cocoon? Metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. What does it look like? 
You know, at a certain point of the cocoon, when the caterpillar's in there doing its metamorphosis to become a butterfly, if you cut open that cocoon, you know what you'll find? Goo. Fluid just comes out. That whole caterpillar has dissolved into who knows what. Scientists aren't even sure what or how or why. It's a mystery. But we know what it looks like going in. We know what the effects are of being in the cocoon. If I was to echo Jesus a bit today, because I'm not much of an agricultural farming type person, I might say that the kingdom of God is like black holes and butterflies. A bit familiar, a bit mysterious. You can't really see what's going on all the time. It operates and develops outside of our vision. But its effects are obvious. Its effects should be clear. And we know the kingdom of God is present by how the world and people are affected around it. So today I'd like to help us see where the kingdom of God is at work, how we can see its effects, and how we can ultimately join in its work, how we can join Jesus on his mission. The foundational truth I want you to walk away with is this, that the kingdom of God is not our kingdom. The kingdom of God is wherever God is redemptively present and active. We can join in the work of the kingdom wherever we see a need for hope, love, and redemption. Sometimes it's helpful that if we're trying to define something that we start by talking about what it is not. If you're unsure of what something is, often you start by saying, well, it's not that, and it's not that, it doesn't fit in that category. So to talk about the kingdom of God, I'm going to start by saying what it's not. And one example of what it's not comes from this video clip. I order you to be quiet. Order? Who do you think he is? I'm your king. Well, I didn't vote for you. You don't vote for kings. Well, how do you become king then? The lady of the lake, her arm clad in the purest shimmering samite, held aloft Excalibur from the bosom of the water, signifying by divine providence that I, Arthur, was to carry Excalibur. That is why I'm your king. Listen, strange women lying in ponds distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. Supreme executive power derives from a mandate from the masses, not from some farcical aquatic ceremony. Be quiet! Kingdom of God definitely doesn't come into being through magical swords and farcical aquatic ceremonies. The kingdom of God is not directed by us. It's not our responsibility. It's not ours. The kingdom of God will rule and take shape regardless of if we join in or not. The kingdom of God is also not of this present age. I'm glad I live in this world and the benefits and the technology and the joys that we can experience today. But you don't have to look around very far before you can see that this world is still broken. And we are a long way off from the realization of the kingdom of God. We are constantly moving towards the culmination of that kingdom, but it is not yet The kingdom of God is also not some past age. I spoke about this the last time that I talked. There's actually a legend about King Arthur that he would come back 
that he's hiding somewhere, and that when Britain really needs him, that King Arthur is going to come back and return the kingdom to its glory. A lot of cultures actually have this myth or idea that some king or some previous hero is going to come back whenever the country needs it the most. Actually, right now, there is a fringe group of people that believe that John F. Kennedy is going to return. The hope of a past age, that something is going to come back. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. Yes, we believe in the returning of Jesus, but he's not coming back for just this country or that country. We are moving towards fulfillment of a kingdom of God that's for the world, for everyone, for all nations, all people, for restoration and justice for all. Obviously, the kingdom of God is not, for a, not about a specific political platform, party, or candidate. Whoever you may choose to support out there, as great as they may be, they're not the kingdom of God. And this one hurts me a little bit to say, but it's not about a specific church or denomination. There's this picture I love that I found on the internet of a Sunday school class somebody drew where you have kind of a breakdown of all the churches and groups that existed and broke off since Jesus began in the beginning in 1 AD. And the teacher saying, so this the little circle is where our movement came and finally got the Bible right. And the little kid is saying, Jesus is so lucky to have us. It's not just about us here. And Presbyterians are not the culmination of Christianity, not the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. Also, the kingdom of God is not one more Bible study. Seminarian, I studied the Bible a lot. I enjoy studying the Bible. There's nothing wrong with studying the Bible. But filling our calendar and our time with just Bible study is not the kingdom of God. Clearly, the kingdom of God is outside us, outside of this world and beyond our control. In the reading today, it says, Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. If we're looking to build the kingdom on our own or, just, or use it to justify our own actions, we're going to be severely disappointed and frustrated because the kingdom of God is not solely in any of those things, and it's not about us. The kingdom of God is not our kingdom. So what is it then? What is the kingdom? In these two parables, we have hints about what the kingdom of God is. Jesus compares them to seeds that are sown, that go into the ground, and that they take time, and people have to wait for them to grow, for the fruit to happen, for the mustard tree to grow up. So there's this idea of waiting and patience, but also great benefit and reward and comfort for those who are connected to the kingdom. In the book that we're reading that's inspiring this message, Jesus on Mission, the author Greg Finke defines the kingdom of God this way. He says, The kingdom of God is God himself and came into the created world through Jesus. Wherever God is redemptively present and active, his kingdom is at work. We can seek it, recognize it, and join with it. 
The kingdom of God is what God has been doing since the beginning and is now continuing to do. To do. Jesus came into the world to inaugurate, demonstrate, and to set in motion the promised season of redemption that was hinted at, at the very, in some of the very first pages of the Bible. Jesus builds and advances his kingdom. And what does he do after he comes on the scene to announce the kingdom of heaven is at hand? He doesn't sit upon a throne. He doesn't demand and order people around. He goes for a walk by a lake. And as he's walking by the lake, he sees some fishermen. And he says, hey, you, you join me. Follow me. Jesus brings people in to participate in it, to learn what the kingdom is and what it's about, to join in his work. Those disciples had a choice. They could have said no. I like fishing. I want to stay here with my dad, and this, this is fine. I don't, nothing needs to change. Or like Matthew, we talked about last week. No, no, Jesus, I'm fine. I'm my tax collector booth. I'm pretty safe in here. There's a lot of benefits to being in here. I'm okay. But every one of them dropped what they had and decided to follow Jesus because they saw that something was different. They made a choice. We have the same choice. We either can follow God in the kingdom of God and participate in it, or we can stay in the world. It's not kind of a both and situation. You couldn't walk into the ancient city and the Roman Empire with all of their customs and religious rituals and things that they had to do and say, I'm not going to do any of that. I just want to live here, but I'm not going to be part of this empire and do what this empire is asking me to do. If you didn't do that, you'd get in a lot of trouble, as the early Christians did. When they said, I'm not following Rome, I'm not following your gods, I'm following Jesus, and he's calling me to do and to live a different way. It's the same in many of our nations around the world. If you travel, go to a different country, and try to do some of the same things you can do here in America, you might get in a little bit of trouble, or you might frustrate somebody. On a much smaller scale, the same thing is true in restaurants. Go into a pizza joint. Ask them for a hamburger. You're not going to get a hamburger. One of my favorite restaurants in the whole world is in Rome. Trattoria del Polaro, run by Paola Foxy, and I have a picture Oh yes, marvel at the baby face me with no beard. This is one of those restaurants where there is no menu. You pay a fixed price, they give you a seat, and they just start bringing out food. Whatever they've decided to cook for that night, whatever they've decided is good and that they want to serve for you. You can't say, no thank you, or I'd prefer to have something else. This is what you get. It's not a have-it-your-way kind of place. You might say it's a bit of a mystery as to what's going on behind the scenes and what they're doing and what they're going to bring out to you, but if you go along for the ride, there are some extreme benefits. That food was really good. But not only was the food good, the people were good. The owner 
Paola, you can watch her walk around to all the different tables and welcome them for being there. And she's happy and she's excited and wants to make sure you're enjoying yourself and having a great time. While we were there, we were praying before our meal and she even came over and laid her hands on our heads and prayed with us. Not only was the food good, but the people were awesome. They cared about who was there. They wanted to make sure that you were enjoying your time. And because we went along for the ride, we went along for whatever they were going to offer, we got to experience all the joys and benefits of eating at that restaurant, which are and were many. God is always at work, growing the kingdom on earth, furthering his goal of redemption and restoration. And sometimes it's a mystery and we're not sure what's happening, what God is up to. But if we are along for the ride, we can experience great benefits by being a part of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is not our kingdom. The kingdom of God is wherever God is redemptively present and active. So how do we join in the work? How do we participate in the kingdom of God then? How do we join God and Jesus on his mission. It actually begins very small, like in Jesus' examples of seeds. It begins with us. When Jesus comes on the scene again in the first chapters of Mark, when he starts to announce the kingdom, he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, and believe the good news. Repent, this idea of changing your mind, changing your perspective, going a different way, turning around and walking on a different path. You need to turn away from the world and change your orientation to the past and whatever was behind you and face a new future. After you repent, you have to believe in the good news. What's the good news? Well, Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, when he enters a synagogue, reads from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61 where it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, and to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And in Luke, we're told that Jesus rolls up the scroll and says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your sight. That's the good news. If we have changed our minds, if we have repented, if we proclaim and believe in this good news that Jesus has come, that this time of redemption that God has been planning for since the beginning is at hand, It doesn't stop with us just believing it, but we have to live it out, which is why baptisms are important. Baptisms become the way that we demonstrate to the world and to everybody around us that we are living this life differently. When we go under the water, it's a sign of death that the old life that is behind us is gone and we're raised up out of the water into new life. We're going to live a different way. 
Aurora kind of jokingly said it in her testimony that she said, I like to get up in front of people. That's why I want to be baptized. Yes, daughter, you do like to get up in front of people and share your gifts with everybody, but that's not the point. And I had to talk to her about it. We're sharing with people what's important to us, what life change has happened in us. And that's what we want to share. We get up in front of people to share things that we love and that we enjoy and that we want others to have joy in as well. So once that change has happened in our own hearts and in our own minds, then we begin to see where the kingdom is at work in others. To see that the kingdom is at work in others and to join Jesus on his mission requires that we be close to other people. One of the ways this is described in the book is that we need to enjoy others. Oh, Pastor Greg, you're telling me I need to be with people? Yep. You need to hang out with people. In the story last week where Jesus calls Matthew, that Matthew throws a huge party at his house after he decides to follow Jesus. And who is at that party? Tax collectors and sinners. Ah, Pastor Greg, you're telling me I need to hang out with those people? Yes. Somebody in the audience in first service said, the riffraff. Yep. Jesus, when Jesus comes to earth, he shows us that that's the place where God's kingdom wants to break in. It's not in the big, the shiny, the fancy with the people who think they have it all together. When the Pharisees challenge Jesus in that story, he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus shows us over and over again that it's the broken, the hurting, the mourning people who need him the most. That's where the kingdom of God is at work. What does it mean to be around people and enjoy people? I was listening to a podcast earlier this week. An author, Shauna Nyquist, was on there, and she was talking about delight. And as she was giving her definition for delight, I thought, hmm, I might steal that and tweak that a little bit for how we can delight and enjoy people. So this isn't completely my thinking. I tweaked some of her words. But being around and enjoying people, you might define this way. Enjoying others is when we engage with our neighbors, experiencing them as people God has made. And in our engagement, we begin to see them as beloved by God and part of those he wants to redeem. Where is God at work then? Wherever there is a need for hope, a need for love, a need for some moment or part of their life to be redeemed. Jesus said he came for the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the prisoners, those who mourn and those who grieve. You remember what happens when the mustard seed grows up and becomes that tree? Birds come to perch and rest in its shade. Rest, restoration. They feel secure in the branches of that tree. We find that when the kingdom of God grows in us, we are able to offer that rest and restoration to others. 
We're able to point them towards love, towards hope, and towards redemption. A very simple example of this is shortly after we moved up here to live just behind the fairgrounds. It was only a few days, but when you move kids into a neighborhood, it's like the other kids can smell it and they just come out. So we'd already met all the kids in our court and like they come over every day knocking on the door. Hey, can the girls come out to play? One of these days we were out in the court and we had, it was like days after we had moved, like boxes were still in the house. We hadn't unpacked everything, didn't know what was going on quite yet. So they're out. We had the bikes, we had scooters. We knew where those were. So they were using those. And at one point, this little neighbor, neighbor girl falls off the scooter and, you know, falls to the ground. And first she's like, I'm okay, I'm okay. But then she sits there a little bit longer. You kind of see that the tears are, are starting to come. And then I can see that she skinned her knee a little bit. And in my head, I'm like, I know we have Band-Aids somewhere. I'm not sure I know where they are, but she needs a Band-Aid. And I have Band-Aids. So I go into the house. I think I know what box they might be in. And luckily, I was right on the first try and found the Band-Aid and, and ran it out to her and put it on her knee and She got back up and they were riding scooters and and bikes again. It's a simple and silly story, it seems like. A little girl scraping her knee, needing a band-aid. We experience that all the time. But when we run into people who need love, who need hope, who need redemption, and who are brokenhearted, who are grieving, who are mourning, We know where the band-aids are. We have them. We know who gives them out. We can find them. Because that's where God is at work in their lives. It's in those broken places. It was probably the same for us at some point when we first heard and responded to the gospel that God reached in and touched a broken place in our heart. That's where God wants to reveal his truth and his power and the benefits of being part of the kingdom. And that's where we have the opportunity to join in, to participate in that work. Not when things are all bright and shiny and seemingly okay and people are sitting there cradling their wounds on the ground saying, it's okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, like she started to. But it's when we can say, I have a need. I need help. Aha! God is at work. And it might just be seeds planted. We may never see the full outgrowth of whatever it is that we're participating in. We never might see the full harvest. But we can hope and know that it can grow and affect way more than we could ever imagine. Like the seeds growing and the mustard seed growing to the giant tree. Someday, whatever help we offer may provide rest for others. So the kingdom of God is not our kingdom. The kingdom of God is wherever God is redemptively present and active. And we can join in the work of the kingdom wherever we see a need for hope, love, and redemption. Talking about black holes and butterflies again. There's this weird space in the cocoon, like I said, and when you go into a black hole that you don't really know what's going on. It's very disorienting. You're not sure... If you cut that, you know, 
cocoon and the goo falls out, how is that going to become a butterfly? I don't know. I think we run into those spaces all the time in our life. Where how can I recover from this? How, how can I get over this? How can I stop grieving? How can I stop mourning? As a pastor, one of the greatest benefits and responsibilities I get to participate in is funerals. Because they are those grand disorienting moments. I don't know what's going on. Why are they gone? When will I see them again? Why did God take them away? I don't understand. Yeah, it's odd. It might seem a little bit dark that I like being a part of funerals. But it's in the preparation and in those moments where I get to sit with family and their friends to hear stories and to be invited into places that I might not normally be invited into, to hear things that I might not normally hear. And I can truly step into those moments and enjoy people, to be with them when it's hard, to walk through the funeral and the grief with them, but also get invited to receptions and potlucks and enjoy them there as well. It's in those moments when the kingdom of God can really begin to shine through and work on people's hearts and minds, where love, hope, and redemption is needed, where relief from mourning and grief are needed, where hearts are broken and need mending. And I get to join on some of the best work of the kingdom in funerals. Now, you all get to do that too. Might not be a funeral. Could be something completely different. But there are people God has placed all around you who are hurting, who have broken hearts, who need love, who need hope, who need redemption. And as we, the people of God, like I said, we know where the band-aids are. We can help provide those to other people. So hopefully God will give you the vision to see that in your friends and your neighbors, wherever you're at. Amen. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. In all my days, I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head Oh, I will sing Of the goodness of God In all my life you have been faithful In all my life you have been so So good.